You are listening to Cornelia Church. Passion for God, compassion for people. Good morning. My name is Andrew. I am so glad that you are here today. Uh, if you, you know what they say? They say that um, about one out of every three people is really good looking. And so just turn to your left and look at the person right there. And if, if they're not good looking, turn to your right and look at the person there. And if they're not good looking, then congratulations. It's you this morning. <laughs> You guys are a good-looking bunch. This, uh, this weekend, yesterday, we commemorated, of course, the 20th anniversary of 9-11. It's hard to imagine that uh, it has been 20 years. It just seems so vivid for all of those that lived through those moments. Uh, I know that probably everyone here that was alive at that time uh, can go immediately back to where you were at the, at the moment that you saw uh, the towers on fire. And um, just a reminder to us in, in that in that moment, in that day, it really kind of awakened us once again to the reality of evil in the world, that there is evil in the world, and, and that the United States is not untouchable, that we're part of, of this world, that we're not isolated. And uh, in the midst of evil, in the midst of darkness, we also saw the incredible way that light can shine. Uh, we saw the incredible heroism uh, of our first responders, people willing to go and give their life without thinking about their own life for, for others. And, uh, you know, whenever we see in our world uh, darkness, we also have to remember that uh, God has is, is given us an opportunity to love our community, to love others, and to give ourselves uh, to each other in the season. And uh, so let this be a reminder to all of us, and however dark we feel the world is in this moment, that it's also an uh, incredible opportunity uh, to lay down our lives, to serve, and to shine God's love for the world because he truly is present with us. I hope, I don't know if you are or not, but a couple of weeks ago, we invited the church, my wife and I, to read a book together. This month in September, we're reading Corey Ten Boom's The Hiding Place. And uh, if you haven't picked that up, we want to encourage you, if you'd like to be a part of that, please do. Just buy that. I had some copies this morning. They're gone. They're, they're already sold. It's easy to get. It's on Amazon. It's in the library. You can get it on Kindle for, I think, $6 or $7. Lots of different ways. I, I think you can even Google and find it on the web for free. It's amazing. Uh, and, uh, I, but I want to challenge you to read it. It's a spiritual biography. It's a true story of Corrie ten Boom who, and her family in uh, Amsterdam, in the Netherlands, uh, and how they hid the Jews or hid a number of Jews and saved their lives during uh, World War II. And the reason we're doing this, and we'll be doing it for the next couple of months, challenging to read a, a book a month, is to start feeding ourselves with something other than the media, other than maybe some of the entertainment that we're used to feeding ourselves with, the negativity that's all around us, and feeding ourselves some faith, feeding ourselves some true stories of how God works, uh, and raising our understanding uh, of the fact that God is alive, active, and he's working uh, in your life, and he wants to work through you. And, and so please read with us. If you haven't picked it up, I want you to encourage you to do that. And I just want to read a highlight as I'm rereading the book, and as I hope you are, uh, there are so many incredible nuggets inside the hiding place. Uh, and so I just want to read you uh, a, little, a little section here just to whet your appetite just for a moment because there's so many treasures here. Uh, the Ten Boom family are watchmakers. The, uh, Corey's dad is a watchmaker. Uh, and 
uh, he had, I think, four daughters. And there's a story that she relates when they're on the train together. And Corey saw her father, of course, as just an incredible man who she could trust to always tell her the truth. He was a man of God who loved the Lord uh, and just was a deep fountain of wisdom. And, and Corey had heard a phrase. I think at this point she was maybe six or eight years old, somewhere around that time. And she had heard a phrase uh, that had to do with sexuality was not something that she was familiar with. You wouldn't expect a child of that age necessarily to understand that. And she heard this term and she knew it was something. Uh, and so she was curious about it. So she went to her dad there on the train ride, like I said, and, and decided to ask the man that she trusted to always tell her the truth. And I just want to read to you the interaction that, that they had uh, together. So she asked the question, and he turned to, uh, and looked at me, as he always did when answering a question. But to my surprise, he said nothing. At last, he stood up, lifted his traveling case from the rack over our heads, and set it on the floor. Will you carry it off the train, Corey, he said. I stood up and tugged at it. It was crammed with watches and spare parts he had purchased that morning. It's too heavy, I said. Yes, he said, and it would be a pretty poor father who would ask his little girl to carry such a load. It's the same way, Corey, with knowledge. Some knowledge is too heavy for children. When you are older and stronger, you can bear it. For now, you must trust me to carry it for you. And I was satisfied, more than satisfied, wonderfully at peace. There were answers to this and all my hard questions. For now, I was content to leave them in my father's keeping. Isn't that good? Some, some knowledge that we have to protect our kids from and that they shouldn't carry. Just, just a nugget. There's some really, really great stuff there. So I want to encourage you to pick up that book, read with us. It's not too late. We're reading it during this month. Uh, and uh, you can find out more information on our website if you want uh, about the book. We, we've created a little page called uh, Book Club that you could get all, all the details. In the back of the seats in front of you are some sermon notes. They're blanks. They're pieces of paper for you to write on. I just love it that the staff loves me so much that they printed these physical pieces of paper for you because I love to take notes. I just cut the paper and just, oh, I just touch it on my skin. It's a wonderful feel. So I want to encourage you to take notes today. Maybe you like to do it physically. Maybe you like to do it digitally. That's okay uh, for you to do as well. We always have our notes and all our verses and everything that we're going to be looking at today uh, under the version app or in the version app under the events tab, you can find Koinonia and all the notes for today. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles or on your devices. It'll be on the screens as well to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I'm going to begin with a verse today. I want to talk to you today about change and why we should change. And what was said just a moment ago during transition uh, when Michelle came up and she said, listen, some of you in your, have in your heart, may your conscience, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you that some things need to change. Well, what a wonderful setup. And I didn't tell her to do that. What a wonderful setup uh, to, to just remind us today that God is speaking to us about change and why we need to change. We are beginning a series today called Mind the Gap. And for the next seven weeks, as, a, as an entire church, every weekend we're going to be in this series, in all of our small groups, we're going to be doing the material. And I really want to encourage you to, to make sure that you're taking full advantage uh, and pushing into what God has for us in this season. Uh, if you don't take time, you'll miss it. If you don't uh, change and adjust some things in your life, you'll miss what God wants to do in you and in your family uh, this season. And so I want to encourage you, get into a group, uh, dedicate yourself to it. 
uh, as I think during announcements it said that we do have the study guides that are available at guest services. If for some reason you can't get into a group, maybe you're already committed in a different, different, uh, different way, but you want to study it with your family, uh, maybe with some neighbors, maybe you have a group already, but it's not a journey group, but you want to study the material together with us, we want you to do that. We will give you the material. You can pick it up at guest services uh, and just let us know your name and your number so that we can be in contact with you because we want to see everybody in the church plugged in to what God is going to do because he's going to see, we're going to see some things that he's going to change inside of us. First Thessalonians 3.10 says this, night and day we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again to fill the gaps in your faith. Paul prays this prayer. He's actually talking to the Thessalonian church, and he says, listen, I, I have a prayer for you guys. I know that there's some areas in your life that are lacking. I know that there's some gaps that I can see in your faith, and, and I'm praying, God, would you help me? Would you help me fill those, those gaps? A couple years ago, I spent some time uh, in London with, with my family, and uh, we just had the opportunity to do that. And if you've ever been to London, you've been in the subway, uh, you'll see a phrase that's kind of plastered everywhere uh, that says, mind the gap. You ever, you ever seen this, mind the gap? And it's right there, usually right there on the line at the end of the platform, right before you step on the train. And it just tells you a little warning, continually reminding you, shouting really all the time to mind the gap, that there is danger right there as you get on the train. There's potentially maybe a couple of inches, maybe much more, that if you're not careful, if you're not mindful, if you're not paying attention, if you're distracted, if you just go about doing your thing and you don't actually see what's going on, that you could step in the gap, that you could actually actually hurt yourself, that you could wound yourself, that you could cause problems. Uh, you, you have to pay attention. Mind the Gap just says basically, hey, we got to be aware of what's going on around us because there is, in fact, danger. And if you're not aware of the danger, if you don't see it, it can still hurt you because gaps are dangerous. In construction, uh, they'll tell you that, you know, you, you, whenever there's a gap, whenever there is inconsistency, maybe in a material that they're using when they're building, for example, concrete, and there's a gap in the concrete, it usually is an indication of weakness. It's an indication of a danger point, a danger zone. And so you have to pay attention to the gaps. You have to mind the gap. And Paul says in First Thessalonians, he says, hey, guys, there's some gaps that you have in your faith. There, there's some weak areas. There's, there's some inconsistencies. There's, there's, there's a, a, a problem that, that I can see in your faith that's lacking something. And unless it's filled, there's going to be danger. Unless it's filled, you're going to end up in a place that you don't want to be, that you didn't expect. Oftentimes, we'll get distracted. We'll just kind of go on with our lives, and, and, and we'll, we'll ignore the reality of the dangers that are around us. And if we're not careful, we'll end up getting ourselves into trouble. And so this next seven weeks, the next 40 days that we're together, we're going to be talking about the gaps in our faith. We're going to be talking about these danger points and, and how we have to be aware of them and we have to cooperate with the Lord to fill them up. Because if we don't respond, if we ignore him, if we just kind of go on as if nothing's happening, we'll end up in a place that we don't want to be. We're going to talk about the, the gap between our head and our heart. Right? Many times it's called the longest distance, that those 18 inches, which are so, so much more than 18 inches when it comes to the difference between our beliefs and our behaviors. 
right? There's, there's such a gap sometimes. We can know more, and this is one of the challenges of the American church in particular, is we love knowledge, we love information, we love to learn things about Scripture, we love to dig into different things and discuss it and dispute it, but oftentimes it won't actually change us. We won't actually allow the information to come and to actually become revelation that would transform our hearts because there's a gap that's there that unless we actually apply it, we won't actually change. There's a gap many times between what we want to do, between what we intend and what we actually do. Have you ever experienced that? Man, I meant, I meant the best. I wanted the best. I intended to do the thing, but I actually didn't do the thing, right? And we're all familiar with that. Paul talks about it in uh, in Romans uh, chapter 7, he says, I don't do the good that I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. Anybody familiar with that experience? It's just so easy for us to live this life, and if we're not careful, we'll end up wanting to go in a certain direction, wanting to grow on our faith, wanting to become more like Christ, wanting to change in our relationships, wanting to grow in our marriage, but unless we actually do something about it, we won't experience change. Dealing with the gaps in our faith, dealing with the gaps in our life, requires us to change something. It requires us to do something different. We have a phrase that we'll say around here from time to time. It simply says it's, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. It's okay for you not to be okay today, but it's, it's not okay for you to stay that way. You see, God loves you. God loves you just the way that you are. But he also loves you enough to actually not leave you in that place, right? I mean, I think you're great. You truly are great. I'm not here to tell you today that you're terrible. But I am here to remind you today that some things in your life need to change. That some things in your life need to be adjusted. And so I want to talk to you just for the next few minutes about change. I want to talk to you about inspiring you, hopefully, and encouraging you to get some things adjusted in your life. And it's a very simple outline. I've got three points. If you're taking notes, I want you to write the first one down. And if you're not taking notes, start taking notes, doggone it. Listen to me, what I'm saying today, this is important stuff. All right. The first thing is this. I want you to write this down. Change is needed. Change is needed. Maybe you need to start taking notes because you've never taken notes and you don't like to take notes. And so I'm telling you, change is needed. Change is needed for you this morning. You need to pay attention. You need to grow. You need to get into this thing. Change is needed. Tell your neighbor, you need to change. Man, yeah, some of you, you need to change. It's easy to tell each other that. It's a whole different story to tell yourself that, right? But we know we need to change. When it comes to our own life, oftentimes we, 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 we say, well, you know, how good do I really have to be? How much do I really have to change? When is, when is enough enough? Right? Do I really need to change? We, we'll, we'll tell ourselves stuff like, well, I'm not that bad, right? I'm, 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 in, I'm, I'm actually pretty good. I'm actually doing pretty good. Have you ever, have you ever had the experience of the vacuum uh, cleaner, salesman, saleswoman, salesperson, whatever they are selling, come to your house and offer to clean, vacuum your carpet. Have you ever had this experience? Some of you have had this experience, right? It might be Rainbow or it might be Kirby or whatever the brand is. And, and they'll come and they'll say something to you. They'll stand at your door and they'll say something to you like, hey, I'll vacuum your carpet for free. And those of us that have never had that experience will think, well, how can you go wrong with that? 
well, of course, come in. And then you'll uh, discover about three hours later that you didn't really want your carpet cleaned that much. And they'll come in and, and they'll say something to you like this. They'll say, get your vacuum cleaner out and, and let me use your vacuum cleaner. And they'll vacuum that room with your vacuum cleaner. And, and, and they'll say, now, does it look clean? Well, let, me, let me do it one more time. And they'll vacuum it one more time with your vacuum cleaner. And then they'll bring their vacuum cleaner out. And they'll begin to vacuum. And they'll vacuum that same spot that was clean, that you lived in every day, that you ate off of if you dropped the food and you picked it up, right? You know, that, uh, that your kids, that your babies crawled in and, and that you thought was clean. And they'll vacuum that carpet with their special device. And then they will show you how filthy you really are, right? They'll, they'll show you all the dirt and all the garbage that was actually in your clean carpet. And they'll basically kind of shake their head and say, man, you really stink, right? You thought you were clean, but you weren't. But that's the experience, I think, that we all have to have when we come to our relationship with Jesus and we're, under, and we're asking ourselves, do I really need to change? How much do I need to change? Well, I tell you what, when you actually get in comparison with someone who truly is clean, when you start to compare yourself to someone who truly is holy and perfect, when you start to look and stare in the mirror of Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the prince uh, of, of all nations, and we begin to stare in him and we see reflected and we immediately realize, I ain't that clean. We immediately realize there's some things that need to change. And the reality is if we think that we're doing all right, we need to spend a little bit more time with Jesus. Not that he makes us feel bad, but that he begins to point out so gently and so kindly, ah, you might need to address that attitude. You, you might need to adjust some of the words that you're using. You, you might need to begin to change some things in your life. Isaiah the prophet says it this way. He says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags, right? He, he says, man, when, when we compare our best, when we get close to someone who's perfect, we realize I'm not that great and I've got to change. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. And this is, of course, where we begin to get real with Jesus. Because when we come to Jesus and we come to the life of following him, it's not just about adding him to everything else that we're already doing. It's not just about I'm attaching myself to a church. I'm liking these people, so I'm going to start hanging out with them. It's not just finding a new club and a, a new style of life. No, no, it's a whole transformation and a change of everything that is our life. He says you have to give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Anytime that we think that we're good, we just need to spend a little bit more time with the master. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus actually, he, he redefined for us. In case I haven't made the point yet, Jesus makes it for us in Matthew chapter 5. One of the things that we'll often tell ourselves is, well, I'm not that bad. I've never killed anybody. I'm not that bad, right? And we'll fill in the blank with whatever we want. And Jesus had this way of, of just turning upside down our excuses and our rationalities. 
he had this way of really sort of cutting through all of the junk, all of the smoke screen that we do all the time. And we do it to ourselves. We try to make ourselves look all right. We try to adjust our behaviors. We, we, we actually do this frequently. We'll look back at the past and our behavior and we'll kind of almost change it in our memory. Have you ever done that? You, you, you work on it until you can live with yourself. You work on it until you feel better about who you are right now. And Jesus had this way of saying, no, this is, this is we're not just doing a thing of we're trying to do revisionism of the past. We're actually going to pay attention to what's going on right now inside of our hearts. And in, and in chapter 5 of Matthew, he says this. He says, you've heard that, that your ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. We know that. Verse 22, but I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. What? If you're even angry? Well, I mean, I think pretty much everyone in this room, without fail, we're going to fall short on this account. We're going to find that we have had anger. And, and now Jesus is saying it's the same as murder. He's, he's saying, like, he's making... The, an equivalent. He's saying this is equal to as if you had actually physically murdered someone, just being angry with someone, killing them in your heart is the same thing in terms of sin, in terms of impurity, in terms of wickedness. Oh, Jesus, you have this way of just revealing the reality of our heart. But the, he doesn't stop there. He says, if you call someone an idiot, I mean, we got some drivers in the house. So I know if you drive a car, you probably have made this mistake. Okay? Maybe the, one of the greatest ways we could be like Christ is to stop driving. It would, it would really save us. It says, if you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Listen, we, we got a problem. We got some things that need to change. We got some attitudes. We got some relationships. We got some patterns in our life. We got some behaviors. They, they need to be adjusted. They need to be changed. And if we have convinced ourselves to the degree that we've convinced ourselves that we're okay, I just want to tell you, you're not okay. God loves you right where you're at, but he's calling you somewhere different. And some of us right today, I know I'm, I could, I could, this is me too. I need to change some of the ways that I treat people. I need to change some of the ways I talk to people. I need to change some of the things that I'm doing. And I need to change because I need to be more like Jesus. Because that's who we are called to live like. We're called to be like Christ. And so first of all, I just want you to know, change is needed. Change is needed. Let's not just be okay with where we're at. Let's receive God's forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, and his love, and know that we can go somewhere different. So this is not just about making you feel bad. Oh, gosh, I need to change. Yeah, you need to change. But the good news is God will help you change. He will take you somewhere. He's not finished with you. He's working in your heart. He actually wants you to move forward in your life. And so if you're done with where you're at and you're ready for something different, then just say, I, change is needed. I need to change. I'm ready for that. All right, that's number one. The second thing I want you to write down is change is painful. Ah, yeah, yeah. Change is painful. Paul says this in, in Galatians 4:19. My dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. Now I know Paul ain't had no children 
physically speaking, right? He didn't have actual labor pains, uh, but he's having pains as he's working in prayer, working with the church. He's working with them. Why? So that they will continue until Christ is fully developed in their lives. This is actually our our goal as Christians, this is where we're headed as followers of Jesus. The Jesus way is actually becoming more like Jesus, of having Christ fully developed inside of us. And Paul says, this is not an easy thing. You don't just snap your fingers. You don't just raise your hand and suddenly you are transformed and never have a problem again. There is a process that you have to go through. There is a process that you have to go through of embracing what Jesus has, of responding to his request, of saying yes to him over and over again, that then results in the change that we need. Romans 12 says it this way, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Now, what is a living sacrifice? What he's referring to, of course, is normally a sacrifice that you put on the offer, altar in the old days. You kill the animal right? There's death. There's pain. It's not a nice process. And Paul says, no, now you and I living for Christ, we are living sacrifices, which means we have to continually put ourselves in a place of pain as an offering to the Lord. Do you know when you make decisions to do the right thing, though it's difficult in your life, that is a sacrifice of praise to God. When you decide to tell the truth, when everything within you doesn't want to tell the truth, you, if you're doing that for Jesus, you're actually putting yourself on the altar of worship and there is praise that's going up to God. Why? Because you are being a living sacrifice in that moment. When you decide to do things in the right way, there is a sacrifice of worship that is actually being reflected in your life that is a beautiful thing to God. But it requires us to do a painful thing. It requires us to push ourselves against our own desires and give it to him. See, when Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me, what he's actually talking about is he's saying, all of those things that you want, you need to nail them to the cross. All those little behaviors, all those little attitudes, all that junk that's inside of you, all the things that's not consistent with his will, when you take them and you nail them to the cross and, and doing so, you die to them and you say, yes, I'm going to do what you you want God, it hurts so bad, but I'm going to do what you say. There is a sacrifice, there is a nailing, there is a taking up of the cross that results in something beautiful, but have you noticed, it's painful. It's not always fun. On the other side, it's beautiful, but the process is difficult. Now, let me just talk to you for the, about the change process for a moment. You can write this down if you want. The change process is actually something that uh, Benjamin Bloom and a number of others, uh, educational psychologists, they kind of developed this model of talking about how change happens in our life. And they kind of noticed, and this is, I think this is a true uh, a statement here, they noticed that there's five phases or five stages to change in all of our lives when we want to actually see something happen in our life. And the first one is this, and you can write down number one. The first one is that you become aware. You become aware. Now, for example, if you want to grow in faith in your life, right, as a, as a Christian, there's once, once upon a time you had to become aware that faith was a thing. Right? You, you, didn't, you didn't know about this maybe. You don't, you're not born knowing about faith. You had to learn about it at some point. And so there's a moment in which you become aware, oh, faith is a, is a thing we need as believers. It's a, it's a thing we need to, in the following the life of Jesus. And so you just, first of all, become aware of it. And then secondly, you begin to ponder it. 
You begin to think about it. You, begin, you become interested in it. Now it's not just an idea that you are aware of. Now you're starting to, to ask more questions about it. You might just start to ask the Lord about it. Lord, teach me about faith. You might even begin to look some, up some verses. Thirdly, you begin to value it. You've become aware. You've thought about it. And now you're recognizing this is actually something that's important. This is, I, I'm learning that faith is the, the currency of the kingdom, that everything as a believer, it has to be done by faith. That if it's not out of faith, then it's actually sin is what the scripture says. And so it's actually really important for me to understand how to live by faith and everything in my life. And so you've, you've begun to press into it to a point where now you're starting to memorize verses. You're starting to exercise faith from time to time. You're starting to value it at a higher level. And then level four is that you then begin to prioritize or reprioritize your life around it. So now I have to readjust the rest of my life so that faith is, becomes central to what I'm doing. So, so, for example, if I'm going to look at my money when it comes to how faith affects my money, then I have to, and I'm going to be serious about it. This is not just a nice idea anymore. I'm not just quoting verses. Now I'm actually going to, rubber meets the road. Now I'm actually going to take my finances and I'm going to make sure they're adjusted to match up with the value of faith. And so, for example, I'm going to start to give. I'm going to start to give faithfully. I'm going to start to tithe as the Lord asked me to tithe. Everything is his, but he asked for 10% to show faithfulness. And so, wow, that means I'm going to have to adjust the way that I spend my my money. Now that's real. Now suddenly now I'm having to reprioritize what I spend my money on. Why? Because I'm bringing the value now to bear and it's affecting my entire life. And then the, the last step, step five, is that you would then begin to own it. So that means every time in every area of your life, the central value of faith comes up. It, it has to do with your kids and the decisions you're making about your kids and about your work and the relationships that you have, your money. And now everything now is gone through the filter of faith. And that's the change process. Now, the difficulty with the change, and you could look at so many different areas. We could talk about you know, all the different kind of values and, and how that goes through. But there's a, a major challenge. The major difficulty happens between uh, value or, uh, number three and number four, value and prioritization. In that place is where most people tend to stop. They stop at number three because there's a gap right there called the action gap. The gap is, is the gap where you actually have to start doing something. And I don't know about you, but I like, I prefer to learn about things. I don't like to actually do things. <laughs> I mean, especially difficult stuff. I like, to, I like the idea of it, but when it actually really comes down to it, I would rather just kind of sit with the idea for a while. And, and the action gap is all about closing, right, that the distance between what you now have valued and changing your life so that it matches up with your values. And one of the greatest difficulties for us is that we often know about something and we know it's good and we know it's what God wants, but we don't actually do it. And so in, we, we, it's actually a problem. And if you're wondering what, your, what you value in your life, just look at the way you spend your time and your money. Because that'll tell you right there where your true priorities are. It's your, your true values and your true priorities are not what you t say people that, tell people that they are. It's not what you just say, it's what you do, right? We know this. And so if you're going to look at your life, uh, and I'll just give you some examples, and I don't want to get too personal. Well, I do want to get personal with you. I want to mess with you just for just a minute. But to think about it for right now, isn't this football season? 
Are there some games on today? Right? Okay. So there's something wonderful about football, right? That, that those of us that are into football, we tend to reprioritize and reorder our life around the consumption and enjoyment of football, right? And, and, we, and we form groups now, uh, and we do fantasy football leagues, and, and we have apps on our phone, and, and we do study and research because we're going to be trading, and we're going to be doing drafting and all the stuff that happens around that. And so, and, and we actually, we make time for it. We readjust our lives. Some of you, some people are not in church this morning, right, because they're watching a game perhaps right okay so you guys you're all blessed and you're good you're you're but why why because we 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 reprioritize our life around what is important to us now i'm not saying i'm not saying football is terrible i'm not saying like it's the worst thing ever i'm just saying we have to understand how we're prioritizing our life how we're actually deciding to invest our energies and our time and because we have decided that something like football is important to us we have readjusted our life to match it so that's the same thing for some of you who enjoy shopping some of you like tarjay right and you make time in your schedule and in your budget for Target. there is a line item if you had a budget it would actually say Target with a really big t uh, because it's really important to you and when you go to target you know where the sales are you know where the end caps are that have your favorite items that are marked down for the final sales so that you're going to get the deal and you have a, and sometimes you'll just go because it's just you just need target time <laughs> right you're not going to buy something you're going just because Man, it just gives life to your soul, just walking around in those aisles. I mean, I'm talking to some people right now. You know that's the truth. You're like, oh, Target is so beautiful. You know, and, and so you, some of us, we, just, we have adjusted our priorities, our finances, our time around the value, right, of shopping. And there, we could talk about all, it's not that shopping's bad, right? It's not that it's the worst thing ever. It's just that we have adjusted. Some of us, perhaps for us, it's traveling, the value of vacations and traveling. And so we plan our calendar and our schedule and our budgets and our time. And we spend time planning travel. I mean, I love travel. So I spend time planning travel and adjust my money. And I, make, I don't spend money on some things so I can have money to, to go on a trip or go away on the weekend. For some of us, it's our kids. Our whole life is prioritized around our kids, or certainly if they're important to us at all, we certainly reprioritize some of our life around our kids, right? Because we, we realize, well, okay, I've got to go to these games, and I've got to spend some money here, and boy, they take a lot of money, and so I've got to reorder and readjust my finances so that there's enough, right? So that's, that's just all about reprioritizing your life. The things that are important to you, the things that you value, you actually adjust your life around them. And the challenge for us is oftentimes we will know the good thing. We will want to grow in Christ. We will want to be different. We will want to grow in our marriage. We will want to change some things in our relationships, but we won't actually do anything about it. We won't actually reprioritize our life. So, you know, you won't get in a small group, even though everybody's telling you it's the best thing ever. Because I got something else going that, that, that night. And I'm a, I've, I've got a busy life. And it doesn't fit into my schedule. Right? And, and so you're saying, well, you know, if you had a group that was at 12:15 every other Tuesday, I would be in that group. I'm saying, no, no, that's the wrong idea. You have to reprioritize. And I'm not saying, like, you know, the gr- groups are not like the most important thing in the entire universe. I'm just saying that's one example of taking something that is an important way for you to spend, to get serious about spending time growing in your relationship with Christ, growing in your relationship with others. So what do you have to do? You actually have to change some other things in your life to make room for it. 
And it's all about being willing to be obedient and to say, Lord, would you hurt me so good? <laughs> right? Would you, would, would, you, would you just tell me what you want so that I can be obedient and be willing to embrace the pain because the pain is going to result in something good. So if you're tired of the way that things are in your life, if you're tired of making the same mistakes over and over again, right? If you're tired of, of just kind of doing the same things and, and, and coming across the same problems and the same brokenness and the same situations in your marriage and the same stuff with your kids and the same stuff with your money, if you're tired of that, then it's time to change then it's time to embrace some pain to see something different happen. Number three, you ready for number three? Number three is that change requires commitment and Christ. This is not something that we're doing by ourselves. This is a both and equation. I'm not here just as a kind of a feel good preacher that's gonna try to tell you change your life. There is a really important equation that we're talking about here. The power for true transformation comes through Jesus Christ. If you really want to see your life transformed, you need Jesus. There's only a limited amount that you can do just by gritting your teeth and trying. I'm going to change. I'm going to be different. Have you ever tried that before? I'm going to be different. I'll tell myself, I'm going to be different. I'm never going to do that again. And then you find yourself the next day doing the same stinking thing over again. Happens over. I'm never going to say that again. Oh, and then you say it the next day. Say it in the next 15 minutes. The key is for us to be submitted to his will. It's, a, it's, a, it's our decision to take our will and submit it to his will. And it's an optional thing. Many people don't do this. Many people don't, they, they, they are, they're content with keeping Jesus as kind of, you know, the, the side thing, but not the central thing. They'll add Jesus to their life, but they won't make him the centerpiece of their life. And if, if you really want to grow, if you really want to change, if you really want to see his life through you, it requires us to be submitted to him. Jesus says to the Father, not my will, but your will. Because he's the difference maker. He's the one that's the critical factor here, right? The difference between being a spectator and a player is the difference between someone who just kind of plays patty cake with Jesus and someone who says, Lord, my all for you. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it because he's the one that changes us and he's the one that transforms us. Jesus's first miracle, John chapter two, many of you probably are familiar with it. It's an incredible miracle. He's at, they're at a wedding, he and his disciples, and at the wedding, they run out of wine. It's a problem if you're trying to have a party and you run out of the beverage. That's kind of like polite laughter, like you guys don't know what I'm talking about. They run out of wine, and it's a problem. Mary comes to Jesus and says, they ran out of wine. Would you please do something about it? Jesus, at first, he's like, I don't really know if I want to do anything. And she says, no, you know, would you please take care of this? She turns to the, the servants, and she says to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. So he tells them, go fill up the pitchers with water, and he changes the water miraculously into wine. He transforms it into, from something that was this decent water into something that's incredible. And, and the, the head waiter, it says, came and tasted the wine, and it says his eyes lit up. He says, this is, this is the best wine that we've got tonight. He says, what, what in the, how, where did this come from? He was so powerfully impacted by what had happened because the water had been transformed 
through the obedience of the servants have been transformed into something beautiful. The key factor is always to do whatever he says. It's always to do what Jesus says and how often we will simply listen to him, but we won't do it. That's what it says in, in Romans chapter, chapter 12. It says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. This world has a pattern. This world has a mold. It's, it's sold to us all the time. It's told to us through all the channels, the media channels, the social networks, uh, our friends and neighbors, the billboards. I mean, it's just all around us at all the time. There's, there's a mold that this world offers to us, and it's so easy for us just to conform to it, just to, just to, to put up with it, just to live according to it, just to be like everybody else. But Paul says, don't conform to it, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's transformation when we come to Jesus. There's true change when we come to the one who can turn water into wine, who can bring the, bed, the dead back to life, who, who can change things that are broken and heal them, who can restore marriages that are dead and you would never think they could ever come back again, who can restore relationships that are broken, who can take financial situations that are impossible and deliver people out of them. He can heal by, there's nothing that he can do. There's no transformation that he's not able to do. But the question is, will we come to him Will we come to him and allow him to transform us? Will we be willing to embrace the pain of change? Will we be willing to submit our will to his will? Now, let me just tell you where we're going over the next couple of weeks, and then I'm going to pray for you. In this series, Mind the Gap, we're going to be looking at, at these gaps. We're going to be looking at uh, the 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 distance between where Christ wants us to be and where we are right now. And for the next six weeks, uh, we're going to use the, the, the verse, Second Peter 1, verses 5 and 6, as, as our sort of as our model, as where we're going. And it says this, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. So we're going to add to our faith what? Goodness. Moral virtue. Excellence. Add to goodness, knowledge. You know, it's important that you would know some things. So many times we make mistakes, we get in trouble, we fall into gaps because we don't know. And so some of us, we just need to know a little bit more so that we could avoid those errors. To knowledge, self-control. Anybody need to grow in their self-control? You need to show up at the service. <laughs> you need to get in groups. And to self-control, perseverance. Don't give up. Keep going. So many times we'll give up too soon. We'll give up too easily. We'll give up before we get there. And to perseverance, godliness, holiness, purity, being more like Jesus. And to godliness, mutual affection, brotherly affection, and to brotherly affection, love. And we're going to look at each of these. And we're going to say, Lord, would you show us our gaps? And would you help us submit to you in your way? Let us be willing to do things differently according to what you say, Lord, so that you can fill the gaps. So like Paul, that we would cooperate with the Lord to fill the gaps in our faith, to see him glorified and magnified and to see our lives strengthened. Would you stand to your feet with me? There's three things that I want to ask you to do over these next six weeks. I want to ask you, don't miss a service. Now maybe, you know, I understand schedules and life. The great thing is we have services online. Just don't miss a service. Whether you're here in person, whether you're online, if you can't do it on a Sunday, make sure that you watch it. Secondly, get in a group. 
If you can't, for whatever reason, get into a group, then form a group, then start a group. Get some people, get some friends. Take time and set aside time. Reprioritize your life to get into the Word of God to help you grow. By the way, I think I've got a slide here. It was supposed to be at the beginning. But if you can't find a group, and I'm not talking about like you're one of those people that you need a group at 1215 every other week, you know, something like that. I'm saying like if you're legitimately having a hard time finding a group, not if you just haven't gone out to the tables or haven't gone online, then I want you to text us. We'll help you get into a group. And if necessary, we'll start more groups because I don't want to see anybody in this church that wants to mind the gap, that wants to grow in their faith and grow uh, in who they are in Christ, not in a group. So if you want to be in a group, text us to this number. Do we have it? Yeah, there it is, 559-500-4830. Text the word group. You're allowed to take your phone out right now if you want to do that. Don't, no, no, other, no other words. Don't be like, I want a group, or where's the group, or what's up group, or hashtag group. Just, just group, okay? Just G-R-O-U-P, okay? That's the only word that you're going to put in the text, and then we'll contact you, and we'll help you get into it. Don't miss services. Number two, get in a group. And three, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Be willing to do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Because if you want to be changed, if you want to be transformed, if you want to see God come into your life, come into your family, come into the brokenness of your situation, then when you start being obedient, that's the open door for him. You're saying, Jesus, would you come in? And if you're willing to do that, I want to pray for you. I just want you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you regardless. But if you are committing right now that you're saying, I'm plugging into this. I'm, I'm, I'm serious about change. I'm, st I'm stuck. I'm sick of being stuck. I don't want to stay the same then just raise your hand. Lord Jesus, for every hand that's raised, we're asking you, Lord, to help us change. Lord, we want to be transformed. It's so difficult. We're, we're so easily lured into the world's pattern. We're so easily conformed, Lord. We, we take the easiest route. We're so weak. We find ourselves so weak. We've bought into, Lord, so many distractions. I'm just asking, Lord, that you would give us your power to change. Lord, we want to hear your voice, and we want to be obedient to us. Would you help us? Would you help us? Would you help us? Jesus, would you speak to us? Lord, in this room right now, I know there are people that you're speaking to them. You're telling them about areas of their life that they need to adjust. You've already been doing in that service. Even in worship, Lord, you were talking to people about adjustments they need to make in relationships and in their patterns of their life and their behaviors, and some things need to be stopped. Some things need to be started. We're just asking, God, that you would help us to say yes. Lord, we want to submit our will to you. We don't find that it's easy, and you know that it's not easy. So we're just asking, would you give us, by your Holy Spirit's power, the power to say yes, the power to be obedient. Lord, would you speak to us? We want to be obedient. We're going to listen, Lord. We're going to grow in this season. Would you change us? Would you transform us? Don't leave us the same way, we pray. Prayer teams, would you come up right now? I know some of you are here that need prayer. We want to pray for you. Lord, I just pray right now that by your power, that by your power, that you would make us different, that you would give us hunger for the things of God. Lord, that we wouldn't put up with the same old, same old, that we'd be willing to make some adjustments, that we'd be willing to reprioritize our time and our schedule and our money Oh, God, don't leave us the same, we pray. Give us a hunger to be more like you, to fill the gaps in our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen, amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the message, and we hope to see you on a Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. 
Visit us online at kchamford.com, and if you want to support our ministry, click Give. Cornelia Church, passion for God, compassion for people.